Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that changed everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately push them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation for marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of What Makes Them Tip. I'm your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Ken Clark. He is the founder and practice director of Chanel Family Therapy, a chain of outpatient mental health clinics. They're, they're an Inc. 5000. And did you say you're up 31%? Yeah, up 31% in 2020, despite COVID. Amazing. Well, uh, Ken, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored. It, it's a it's a neat podcast. So yeah, I'm, so I'm excited to get into it. So the premise of the show is it's what makes them tip. We want to know about the tipping point of success for your company. But before I get into that, just tell me your story and tell me about your company. Did you know yeah. that this was what you were going to be doing uh, since you know you were in college? No, I, I actually uh, I was going to be a Wall Street guy. I went to to Pepperdine in, in California. Grew up in Southern California. Um, was going to be a Wall Street guy. Studied, became a CFP right out of college, and so I did that for about five years. But but worked in kind of intergenerational wealth management, so like wealthy families fighting over money, yeah. uh, which yeah. is by itself like being a therapist. Um, uh, after about five years, I, I, uh, my wife had been volunteering at a nonprofit or working in a nonprofit called Young Life, doing some youth outreach stuff, and I had helped with that. Loved that, so I, I, I left. Uh, the capitalistic greedy world and, and went to the altruistic uh, world for a little while. Um, I know about young life. I have a friend that, that does oh, do you? Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I had a time in my life. Uh, yeah. I, I tell people I went from making six figures to six figures, including the decimal places. Uh, <laughs> right. So uh, the uh, did that for about five years, did the burnout that a lot of people do. And I had a buddy who, who needed a CFO for a counseling agency. And so I went and did that. Within a few weeks of being there, I was just enthralled with what they did. And it kind of reminded me of, of working with uh, squirrely kids. And so I went back to grad school uh, in uh, the early 2000s and uh, never looked back. Now, we, we uh, ended up in Arkansas because I looked around the country for where there was the most divorces in a metro area and the least number of therapists. So like what what metro areas had the most divorces per therapist. So Interesting. And yeah. it was Arkansas. Where in Arkansas? So we're in Little Rock, but we've we've got 18 offices across Arkansas that range from places like Bentonville, where Walmart's headquartered, to um, you know towns of 5,000 people that kind of act as hubs for even more rural communities. So, so they have the most divorces with the least number of family therapy. Yeah. So yeah, when we when we moved here, it was almost a, a threefold. Uh, 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 gain over places like Southern California, which are super saturated with, with marriage therapists and things like that. Um, out here, I have when to I'm, ask Ken, yeah. what's, what's with the scarf thing that you're wearing? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so this is a California shout out. 
So in California, you, there's these, there's a great company called Rain Spooner who makes Hawaiian shirts and they put out a Christmas shirt every year. And uh, so I, I wear my Christmas Hawaiian shirts and flip flops in Arkansas as my form of rebellion because everybody here is so proper and stuff. And yeah. then the red scarf, uh, growing up in Southern California, there's a, a version of the Scrooge play where uh, that we used to go see. And uh, they always wear red scarves. So I, forever, <laughs> I've, I've wear, worn a red scarf during Christmas. So my my signature look, right? And, you know, don't be surprised if this spreads like wildfire across country is uh Hawaiian shirts, Christmas Hawaiian shirts and red scarves. So awesome. You, you know, Love you got to have a look. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so happy about it because sometimes I get a little concerned. I, I wear I basically wear the same T-shirt almost every single day. It's this <laughs> it's this yeah. very comfortable shirt. Yeah, uh, I have like seven of these. <laughs> I've also found it's very disarming. People come into therapy, they're all upset and mad, and they're like, look at this clown. Like wearing a you know, Hawaiian like shirt and a scarf. Disarm. Yeah, like you can't be that and serious. Flip-flops. Flip-flops. <laughs> Love it. Okay. I don't know where I where I cut you off. No, we're telling you about your Arkansas company. And, and uh we I mean we've grown from one one person, just myself, uh really supported by my wife, uh, who is also now a therapist. We're about 135 staff now. Um uh, and growing about $2 million a year. So awesome. So in a nutshell, how, what are some unique ways, uh, that your company approaches your market? Um, so ironically our, our field, the mental health field, which is, uh, got a bunch of people trained in human relationships. Uh, they, they are, um, typically some combination of no business skills, uh, you know, no market awareness, anything like that. Um, combined with a surprisingly toxic leadership, um, where we we find we find that a lot of people who aren't good therapists get into management. As, as so, how when you say toxic leadership, so the yeah. mental health field has a surprising amount of toxic leadership. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, yeah, explain it, that. What do you mean when you say toxic leadership? Very, very fear based, like territorial, like I'm the boss. Therefore, I have to know everything about everything that has to do with therapy or you don't get to question me or um, just these, you know, very siloed management, um, forgetting where they came from kind of thing. And so you, uh -huh. you, you have you really have a middle management level in our field um, of, of unhealthy people who got out of day to day therapy and got into management. Uh, maybe because they weren't that great a therapist, but now they're trying to lead rock star therapists. It's like taking the worst salesperson on your team and making and them making a sales manager. Yeah. Like how, how do you figure that? That's a lot of management in, in our field. And so they, the, the culture of, of working at a lot of these uh, behavioral health companies, um, it, I mean, it, 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 it rivals something out of the 1950s or something. I mean, it's just, it's like, factory work. I mean, it's, it's really sad. So part of what we've done is, uh, I, I pulled on my, my wall street experience, which is, uh, if you're doing a good job, management's job is to leave you alone, to find out what kind of coffee you want and bring it to you because I love that approach. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what we've done. I, we're what we call a semi-private practice model. That that's our coin that we've termed. That's actually my practice consultancy is called semi-privatepractice.com. Um, but it's, it's basically high autonomy, uh, high support, you know, as, as long as you're doing the right things and ethical, we get out of your way. We, we don't micromanage. You want to take three weeks off, lock it off on your calendar. I don't care. You know, like we're, 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 we're very much, uh, a lot of the stuff you see in Silicon Valley, uh, has just been adapted towards this culture. And, and, 
And how does that make it harder or easier for you to function as a business? Uh, we definitely, we definitely overpaid and, and overinvest in people in the early days. So the early days when we were smaller, the first few million in revenue were super tight margins uh, compared to our peers. Uh, now on the, on the back end, it, it's great, right? Because we, our retention is very high. Um, employee satisfaction is, is through the roof, engagement's through the roof. But we, we did a lot of investing. Um, uh, you know, we'll get to what the tipping point is here, which is is ultimately what was I willing to take a hard look at myself? Uh, one of the, hmm. one of the, and it, I, I lead a team of therapists. I'm a therapist by training now, but, but I lead a bunch of people who have never had Wall Street experience. But to me, and this is one of our phrases that I've had to acclimate them to, we have to live what we sell. I mean, we're, we're mm-hmm. talking to the public about self-reflection and, and insight and vulnerability and, and blind spots and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet most people running behavioral health companies are, don't do those things. And so that, that was the big thing was it started with me. Where am I the bottlenecks? Where am I the problem? Where am I driving people off? Am I offensive? Am I this and that? What and, were your big discoveries? Um, my big discoveries are I suck at follow through. Uh, yeah. I, I, I am a, I am a fire starter. Um, but, but I, uh, I, I kind of like ri- light fires and run away, like, you know, kind of, uh, uh, entrepreneurial pyromaniac or something. So I I've had to surround myself with anal retentive people who, who love me, but also smack me around. Yeah. Uh, so like my, my operations manager, my executive assistants, um, they, they, there's no deferring to Ken there. There's a lot of like, you need to get this done you said you were going to do it. I'm like, can you bring it to me and I'll sign it? You know? So I've had to find people that, that free me up to, to keep being a visionary and kicking open doors, but, but then pay them to walk through those doors for me. And that was hard because that early entrepreneurship, right? You, you do it all. You're emptying the trash, your own best salesperson. And, And so realizing that I'm bad at anything, uh, or that there's people much more capable than me, it, it takes a lot of pride swallowing. But that's a very profitable piece of pride to swallow. Yeah. When you when you realize you can hire people to bring the stuff to fruition that that I've been trying to ignore in my inbox, um, why wouldn't you? Right. Like it's, it's it can almost get to a point where you're like, what's the value of me? One one of my biggest, you know, we 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 we're growing so fast. There there will be a point. I'm hoping we'll be a fifteen to twenty million dollar company five years out. Um, there will be a point where clearly there's people who've been running 15 or $20 million companies for 20 years. Uh, the first year that we're a $15 million company, uh, this year we're an $8 million company. That's the first year I've been a CEO of a company that size, which means I have no clue what I'm doing compared to last year, right? I have a hunch, but um, but there's people out there who are theoretically better at the job already than me, uh, yeah. which is very humbling. And, and at some point th- there will probably be a decision uh, to replace, oh, I continue to replace aspects of me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I feel like part of the journey of entrepreneurship is just replacing yourself piece by yeah. piece. Yeah. Yeah. And being okay with that. And, and, and that may be the real journey of, of the entrepreneur, the CEO is, is to be the, the best at going first, that being the best at saying, you know what, I may be the problem here. Um, that's what leader means, right? You're you're in the front of the freaking line. Uh, if you yeah. if you don't want to go first, don't be a leader. And, and so, with vulnerability and saying, you know what, I'm not as good at this as I should be. We need to find somebody else to do it. If I want my team to do that, I need to be the best at that. 
Yeah. That, yeah. That's what I've realized I'm best at above all else is realizing how much I suck at certain things. <laughs> Tell me about uh, Unstuck With You. Yeah. Well, yeah. So um, one of the things that I've, I'm a high conflict marriage therapist, like clinically, that's where I geek out, right? Is okay. people that, that were, they, uh, and families that, that have such rich histories and, and yet at the same time can barely be in the same room, right? Or these people that, that, that have this amazing story of falling in love. And yet 20 years later, like, you know, all the way to Thanksgiving, they're silent in the car and they put on the fake face at Thanksgiving and then they're silent all the way home. Like we, why, why do you, why do you, why are you attracted to that so much? Oh, I probably grew up with it or something like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And it's probably, probably me, right? Like I, I I think there's, um, there's a piece of me that, uh, that, that, that concedes too easy to, to the status quo. And then there's like a piece of me that is this defiant MF or that, that just like won't lay down and die. And, and so that's, that's the merging of the two. Like how, do, how do you be with somebody and not be stuck with them? Right. How, do, how do you move from like, we're, we're too far into this. We've got a, you know, really expensive home and kids who we, we don't want to put through a divorce um, or a business partner that there's no way I can get rid of this guy besides the fact that he owns half of this place. You know, ha- some of the employees love him, even though some of them hate him. So we're stuck with this person. And, and when we feel like we're stuck, uh, all these other bad behaviors begin to set in, including just like complacent uh, living. And, and so this yeah. idea of, of defiantly getting unstuck, being with somebody, staying with somebody, staying in a business, not because you have to, but because you want to. What do you mean when you say defiantly getting unstuck? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, so I, I was, I was the pudgy bullied kid, you know, that like there, there's the, there's the part of me that like crafted myself in spite of what people told me I was, you know, um, that that's, that's probably my other great strength is my, my refusal to lay down and die. There's a great Will Smith quote. Like I cry every time I hear it. I don't know if you've seen it. I think he was on Tavis Smiley, but he says, there's people funnier than me. There's people better looking than me. But if, if you put me on a treadmill next to you, one of two things happen. You will get off first or I will die. <laughs> right? Like, it's like <laughs> great. Like I do not give up. And, and so there's this part of me that, that, um, uh, stripping out privilege for a second, which I, I was born into plenty of it, I guess. But, but aside from that, like I've, I've only arrived at this at a sheer stupidity and and not giving up when I should have and, and probably saved my marriage in that same way and, and probably become a good father in, in this refusal to, to give in to, to homeostasis, to the status quo. And, and so there's a real feisty part of me. I love underdogs. I, I love, like being told that you can't, or that doesn't work, or that's not the way we do it, or that's not the way a marriage should work. Like that fuels me. And, and I find that there's a lot of people out there who are craving that inspiration of, of underdog defiance. Right? So it, it, it's a refusal to, to be okay with the feeling of being stuck with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. does that look like in a marriage? Um, I think it looks like with first the recognition that, that I don't know where we're supposed to go, but I know it's not where we are. Like, it's like, it starts with the recognition of this isn't working, right? Like, however we got here, whoever's fault it is, whoever went first, it doesn't freaking matter because the bottom line is we're, we're going to die in this spot if we don't figure out what's next. 
And, and so that's a lot of my defiance. That's a lot of how I learned to lead even is, is this removal of blame or, or even the need to apologize or accept an apology as, as a, a preface to moving forward. Right. Uh, like it, it, I always explain it this way. Like, you know, you, you back over somebody's foot with the car, you can have an argument about whether or not they were standing too close or, or whether or not, uh, you know, you tried to do it on purpose or whatever. It actually is probably secondary. The fact that we need to go to the emergency room right now. Right. Like, mm. and so this, this human need to, to analyze cause and to assign blame is, is, uh, contradictory mm. to outcomes. Mm. Right. Um, it, and, and so for me, even in, in overcoming like my own self-loathing, like maybe I am the bullied kid cause I eat too many Cheetos or whatever, you know, like whatever it was, it, it didn't matter as compared to actually taking the steps that are necessary to, to save it. And, and um, when we move up to that pragmatic level, instead of focusing on who is the worst or who went first or who, who needs to go first, uh, it's amazing what we can accomplish. Um, one of the exercises I, I have people do, it's a really funny exercise. I'll, I'll have them uh, uh, come into therapy with their list of complaints about the spouse like I don't get enough of this or, you know, whatever. Right. So they both come in. I have them read the list out loud. No commentaries allowed. You're not allowed to agree with it, disagree with it, argue it, whatever. And then I just make them at the end of therapy. I say to dude, okay, you, you pick one thing off that person's list and, and you need to make it better by the next time I see you without telling them which one you're working on. Huh. You need to pick one thing off his list and make it better without telling him which one he's working on. So both people are leaving, no explanation, no argument about the merits of it, but just under the belief that the other person is attempting to fix it. Then this really funny thing come, happens. They come back. They're genuinely much happier. And I ask them, so which one do you think she was working on? And she names something and, and the guy's like, nope, that's not the one I was working on. She's, she's like, why? Well, that one it seemed better, you know, he's like, no, you know, I go through two or three things and the same thing for the guy. The guy's like, no, that's not the one I was working on, you know, but this belief that, that the other person wants to change it and being freed up from actually having to explain why it exists creates an, an incredibly powerful context for people just to start changing stuff, huh. Huh. you know, and when we see stuff start changing, then our opinion of the situation starts changing. Then it becomes a what we call a virtuous cycle instead of a downward spiral, right? When yeah. I believe the other person is working in my behalf, uh, then, then things change. And so that that's this whole concept. And even within my company, right, it's the same thing, this, this removal of blame as, as predicate for solving problems. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's only as valuable as, as, as helping us understand maybe what we need to do next or not do again. Yeah. But, but who started it or, or who didn't pay attention to the right report or whatever that doesn't change what needs to happen next. Yeah. And so that, that's the whole basis of getting unstuck is, is, is the lead up is, is uh, a fool's errand to try and analyze and, and all that kind of stuff. I love it, Ken. We yeah. we definitely threw in a lot of uh, counseling in this episode about what makes them tip. Um, for entrepreneurs that are listening, what would you hope that they would take away from your story? Man, that personal vulnerability and the willingness to go first, it applies to every sector of your life, whether it's family or entrepreneurship or whatever. You, yeah. you, you want to be, um, people are dying to be inspired. 
clients, your, your staff, your vendors, right, are dying to be inspired. Your adversaries are dying to be inspired. Be an inspiring person. To be an inspiring person, you have to do something that most people won't do. In the entrepreneurial space, there's a lot of success. So success by itself is not as as, as inspiring as we want it to be. You, you can swing yeah. a dead cat and, and hit a lot of people who've started something that, that is making some money. Somebody yeah. who has the guts to go first and say, I suck at a lot of stuff. And I probably hurt a lot of people. And, and, and I'm not even trying to do that, but that matters to me. It matters to me that there's a, a wake of, of destruction behind Ken. That takes some guts, right? People want to be in the same space as, as a leader that is willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend, uh, highly recommend Brene Brown's dare to lead. Uh, like if you can ever get her on the, on the show, uh, okay. let me know. I want to be your other guest. Cause I've got questions for, her. but, but That'd the whole fun. concept of, of just being vulnerable as a leader, not having all the answers. Yeah. Um, that, that's what people are, are dying to be part of, give their money to all that kind of stuff. You really want to be different, be inspiring. You really want to be inspiring. Do that, which most people don't have the guts to do, which is look in the mirror. Yes. Ken, how can listeners connect with you? Sure. Um, if I can ever uh, point you towards mental health resources, feel free to, to reach out to me, Ken, at chenaltherapy.com, C-H-E-N-A-L, chenaltherapy.com. Um, uh, you can also, uh, if you need business consulting, I do business consulting at uh, divergineer.com, D-I-V-E-R-G-I-N-E-E-R, like engineer and diverge. Um, and follow us on uh, social media, Unstuck With You, um, we've got a lot of great content coming out that's meant to be motivational for uh, people who are balancing entrepreneurship and relationships. Love it, Ken. Thanks so much for being on the show. Honored. Thank you. Good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that changed everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.